Here's today's God Heals Hurting Marriages with Charlene Steinkamp. Hi, it's Charlene. I'm so glad you joined us today for our podcast. I'm still recovering from my recent battle with pneumonia, but I am so much better. And I am so thankful for all of your prayers. God does answer our prayers. Today, I have such a special message that I want to share with you. How is your heart? It's easy to go day after day and not realize that your heart is becoming hardened to the things of God. I want you to listen to this sermon from Pastor Luke Still from Grace Church. He is the student pastor at Lori's Church. This message is going to speak to you. I know because I listened to it last week. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for today. And I just thank you for this dear standard that is listening to this message and listens to all of our different podcasts. We give God the praise and the glory for our podcast and how they are blessing and encouraging our standards. Lord, be with this dear man or woman that is battling with many trials and tribulations in their life at this very moment. Lord, I just pray that you will guide them and direct them each and every day. I pray that you will speak to them loudly when they have questions and uh, need answers to turn to the right or turn to the left. May you speak very loudly that they know what they're to do. Lord, I pray that you will be their Redeemer, that you will be their Lord, their Savior, that they know you personally. And if they don't, that they cry out to you first for their salvation. We pray for the salvation of any and all the prodigals, the prodigal husbands, wives, and children, and lost loved ones that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we are asking that you would bring and restore and resurrect all these hurting marriages. And we ask that you will breathe new life into them. And Lord, we are just asking that this would be a blessing today from Pastor Luke to understand that we have to keep watching out, that we do not allow our own hearts to become hardened. And may they be encouraged today, and may you answer their most urgent need today, and we'll just give you all the praise and the glory. Bless them abundantly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Father, we, we pause in silence to prepare our hearts our minds, to prepare our ears, God, to hear from you. Oh God, I pray that this morning that you would so fill this place with your Holy Spirit. And God, that I, your servant, would be removed completely. God, that you would speak through the power of your word to change hearts and lives. God, to break down strongholds, to tear down walls, to rip apart chains that have bound, that have entangled. God, that have caused some of us 
to coast that have caused some of us to become complacent. Oh God, would you be a fresh wind and a fresh fire here this morning. God, would your voice speak so clearly to our hearts that we cannot do anything but respond to you in full submission for who you are, for what you've done. We give you the praise and the glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. A young girl came to know Christ in an exciting revival that took place at her church. The following Sunday, she was baptized in her church, full of excitement, full of joy. That afternoon, she went home singing all throughout her house, dancing for the joy of the Lord in her heart. Her sour grandfather rebuked her with these words. You ought to be ashamed of yourself dancing on the Lord's day. Crushed with her grandfather's attitude, the little girl went out to the barn, climbed up on the corral fence and observed an old mule standing there with a sad face, droopy face and sleepy eyes. As she reached over to pat the mule sympathetically, she said, Don't cry, old mule. I guess you've got the same kind of religion that Grandpa has. Mm. This morning, I'm simply going to share with you what God's been working on me for the last couple of months. You see, this last couple of months as I've been preparing for our youth ministry, as I've been preparing for our our chapels, as I've been uh, speaking in some of the public schools around here in in Broward County, uh, I've had uh, really been challenged. I began to think. I began to have some conversations with my own family. In fact, uh, just a couple of nights ago, my wife and some of our kids, man, we sat down in our bedroom and we kind of walked through this very lesson. And I began to think, now this morning, hear me, this is my journey. And you're going to go along for the ride. And I pray that as, as God has allowed me to kind of walk through this, that it, would, that it would motivate, that it would encourage, that it would revive your soul this morning. That's my prayer. But I began to begin to think, I began to begin, I began thinking, about all of the different opportunities that I have to stand to teach. I began to think about how many sermons I have sat through. And so I started to do a little math this weekend. Just bear with me. Some of you will be able to relate with this, like, incredibly. I'm 37 years old, and I know what you're thinking. You look really good for 37. Amen. I do. Could you imagine? I know why God didn't give me hair. I know. I would be that much more good looking. I'm 37. I was going to church before I was born in my mother's womb. At First Baptist Church of Fort Lauderdale, I grew up. I spent 20 years of my life there at that church. Every Sunday morning, almost every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, during August through December for the Fort Lauderdale Christmas pageant. And I began to think, 
if you just do the math, and here's what I, I did, because if we're honest, I, I just used 30 instead of 37, because then when you're like 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, you, you go to kids' church and you hear all of them, but you really, like, I don't know how much you really get out of those, so I just used 30. For 30 years of my life, going to church every Sunday, now, now listen, I know that there were some Sundays I was sick. There were some Sundays I missed. There were some Wednesdays I missed. But as an average, on Sundays alone, for a general 30 years, I've heard 1,500 sermons. 1,500. If you include Sunday school or life groups, I had another 1,200. That's just on Sunday mornings. Add another 1,500 for Sunday nights. What about Wednesday night Bible study or youth group? Well, you would add another 300. And I was privileged enough to go to private Christian school my entire life. From K3 through 12th, K5, sorry, I didn't do Christian. Uh, K5 through 12th grade, I went to a private Christian school that had Bible class every day and chapel every week. So you could add into there a total of another 518 sermons. I also went to Liberty University, where we had chapel three times a week. I went for three years, came home my senior year, and finished online. But that's another 270 chapels. Then you add the Bible classes alone in grade school, from K-5 through 12th grade, and that's another 760 sermons or Bible studies. Then I actually studied God's Word, and so all of my college classes were Bible classes, so there's another 150 to 200 times that I heard the gospel of God proclaimed. When you total all of that together, it's well over 5,000 times that I've sat through the teaching of God's Word. And I would say that many of you who are well beyond my years and age and just as good looking, you have heard many, 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 many more sermons. You've heard many more Bible studies, not to mention all the radio messages, all the video studies, my own personal Bible studies, my own personal sermon prep, casual conversations with others about God's Word. And I know what you might be thinking as you sit there this morning. You might be saying, where in the world is Luke going with this? Remember, this morning you're along the ride of my journey, of what God's been doing in my life. You see, over the last couple months, I, I've been reading along with my quiet time. I, I, I'm not a big reader, and God's kind of molding me and shaping me, but at night, as I lay in bed, um, I've been reading this book. It's called The Insanity of God. And this book has begun to make me think in completely different ways. It's begun to kind of change me from the inside out. And in this book, The Insanity of God, there is this quote that just kind of wrecked my life. I, I read it to my wife. The minute that I read it, I underlined it. And I said, Liz, listen to this quote. 
And this morning, as I think through the countless thousands of sermons that either I checked out and I was on my phone not paying attention, or I slept through on my father's arm as a young little boy at church, or the very time that I was sitting in the very front row of First Baptist Fort Lauderdale, dead asleep as O.S. Hawkins was preaching. Like, I remember that. Listen, this quote began to... And it began to be like a clanging symbol in my heart. Here's the quote. It says this. There are those of us who have grown comfortable with the teachings of Christ and have allowed his teaching to lose their edge. And I thought, wait a minute. That could quite possibly be me over the plethora of times that I've heard God's word. How How has my heart become calloused? How has my heart become hard to the teachings? You see, I've heard the Bible stories. I've taught the Bible stories. Like you, you, you know them. In fact, you know the answers to all of the questions that we ask in our life groups, in our small groups, because you've sat in here countless time after countless time after countless time. What's happened? Man, for me... I read that and I go, dude, that's me. The teaching of God's word has somehow lost its edge in my life. You see, if I'm being honest, I believe that there's many of us who are here this morning. And and hear me, please don't anybody, write Pastor Gary, please don't anybody go, that Pastor Luke's a heretic. If this offends you, it's my story, not your story. So what I'm about to say, uh, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I just it's inside of me. I think that there's a lot of us who come to church because it's our routine. You see, we've done it before we were even born in my mom's womb, right? So it's our, it's our routine. It's, it's what we do. It's our ritual. And for some of us, we've lost the joy of our salvation. We've become that grumpy old grandfather instead of that expressive young girl dancing for joy of the Lord. Our hearts have become hardened. They've become like petrified wood. Sure, we know the Bible stories. Sure, we know the answers. And our faith has become stale. It's become hard. See, we come each and every Sunday, we hear the word, but the soil of our heart is so dry, it's so hard, it's like cement. And we don't ever really leave here changed. Think about it. I'm not judging. But the minute this is over and we dismiss, what's on your mind? Food, lunch. Let's just be honest, right? Like, let's just talk. How many of you already have reservations somewhere? Hey, good to see you, buddy. Where are you going to lunch? Oh, not going to be there. Hey, but here's my point. Is we just, we just walk out and does change really happen? Does change really take place? I mean, uh, I know what you might be saying. Luke, you're, you're, you're riding the edge. You're almost being a heretic. God's word does not return void. And amen, it does not return void. You see, the problem is not the word of God. 
If you have your Bibles, go to Mark 4. We're going to be there, but I'm just going to give you a summary real quick. All of you know the story, and it's not where we're going to be in Mark 4, but it's in Mark 4. Uh, the story of the, of the sower. Do you know the problem It's not God's word. God's word does not return void. It's not God's word that's the problem. In the parable of the sower, the sower himself is not the problem. In the seed itself is not the problem. What's the problem? The soil. The soil is the problem. The soil represents individual hearts. It represents people's hearts who have either gone gone hard, who have either had thorns creep in, some of it's rocky soil. The problem is not God's word. So hear me, I in no way saying that the problem is God's word. I'm saying the problem is the soil of my heart to receive God's word. And if, if we're just being honest, I would venture to say in a room this size with this many people, there's probably plenty more people whose heart and soil is not, well, it's just hard to God's word. Again, the problem is not the word, the seed. The problem is with our heart and soil. I know I told you to turn to Mark 4. Put your little tab there. Put a pen there. Go with me to Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10. Everybody there? Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Listen to what it says. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Ready? Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Hey, listen, church. Many of us, man, our hearts have grown hard. We come in here out of routine, out of ritual. It's what we do as a family on Sundays. I grew up going to church, and you've heard the Bible stories, but many of us check out during the sermon, and then at the end we pray, we say amen, like, yep, I agree, but we didn't really hear anything because our hearts are hard. And I want to say to us this morning, I want to have a faith that is resurrected. I want to have a faith that is vibrant and alive. I want to have a faith that is passionate about who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And I want to tell as many people as I can about what God has done. So so, so listen, in order to do that, I can't have hard-soiled heart. I've got to plow up. I've got to tear up the fallow ground. And I've got to begin to seek the Lord. And maybe that's you as well. Not just Hosea. Go with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, just a couple of pages back to the left. Okay, a whole lot of pages back to the left. Jeremiah chapter 4. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 3 says. I love hearing the pages turn. Here we go. Verse 3 says, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Last one. Go over all the way to the New Testament to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it found none. 
and said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit from this fig tree. I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also. Until I dig around it and put on the new one. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Does that not hit you in the face? In our ritual, maybe we miss. And maybe we're the tree that's been planted and we've grown and yet we're not producing spiritual fruit because our soil has literally grown hard. And yet all we're doing is taking up space. And then my journey. Not yours. You see, this morning my prayers is that we would till up, that we would break up, plow up the fallow ground of our hearts and, and experience a personal revival today. A revival you know what the definition of a revival is? Anybody? Don't put it up yet, please. Anybody know what the definition is? Anybody? Anybody? Yes. What's a revival? Okay. Okay, it could be. A revival could be when you give testimonial praises about what God has done. Sometimes churches plan revival. You ever thought about that? Why are you planning revival? Shouldn't it just happen? Shouldn't the word of God so impact our life that it takes place? Again, just thinking out loud. Here's the definition of a revival. I love this. There's two. Here's the first one. An improvement in the condition or strength of something. How cool is that? Hey, listen, this morning, I want my faith to have an improvement in its condition. That means I'm going to use Coach Good's illustration that he uses a lot, sometimes in basketball, sometimes in life. But he says, man, if your spiritual journey this morning, your spiritual relationship this morning is at like a three, what's it going to take to get you to a seven? Because a seven is better than a three, and that's that improvement in your condition. You see, we want to leave here. Maybe this morning you're at a two. And my desire would be, and my prayer would be, that God would so move in your heart and in your life that when you walk out of here, you're at least past the five. Not because of what I've said, but because of the power of the Word of God. That it's living and active. That it's sharper than two-edged sword. That it will divide even the joints and marrow. Man, this is the Word of God. It should move us. It should till up that ground. Oh, so it's an improvement, but this is even better. I love the second one. An instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. You know what I realized? I, I actually asked a couple of people. I asked my own son. I asked my wife. I asked a couple of my children. Out of all the sermons that you've sat through, how many do you remember? You know what the consensus was? Maybe one or two. 
outside of the day that you came to know Christ, whether that was in a church or it was in a home or at a restaurant or on the beach, wherever that was, that day I'm sure you can hopefully remember. But out of the sermons, how many can you remember? Maybe, just maybe, today would be the day that you go, you know what? My salvation in who Jesus is and what he's done for me, it's going to become important again today. It's a revival. It's a revival. You see, my prayer is that we would leave this church today with an improvement in our relationship with God, that the ground and the soil of our heart would become important again. That spiritual change would begin to take place today in our own hearts. That every Sunday, when you come in here, you would leave change. I have a, a mentor in my life who I, I actually haven't seen in quite some time, but he used to say this as a high schooler. When I was in high school, he used to say to me, Luke, anytime the Word of God is open, you should get something out of it. Every time. I thought, man, how many times have I sat through sermons and I just didn't pay attention? Man, I just checked out. Oh, hear me. That we would leave here today changed. That revival would take place. That you don't just come to church to fulfill a, a role. Well, I'm a greeter. I've got to be there to shake the hands of people. As they come in, I'm an usher. I've got to make sure that the bulletins get, get passed out. But I, listen, but rather you're here this morning ready and willing to serve at Grace because you need this morning to break up the hard heart of your life so that this week you can be a light that shines in your community. That every Sunday you come in ready for the Word of God to wreck your heart so that you are undone for Him this coming week. And so as I began to think about change, begin to think about what produces change. If I want to have a change in my life, if I want to have a spiritual revival take place in my own life, what typically changes or, or what typically impacts change? I, I can only kind of think of three things, and I'll share them with you. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can't. And judge me all you want, but that's okay. I, I think, number one, uh, some of us change or change happens based on acceptance. You see, if we're not really included in this group of people that we may want to be included with, we're, we're quick to change so that we may become accepted. Does that make sense? Are you following that? Um, the, the second thing that I thought of that I can kind of relate with, because I do this a lot to kids and students, I'm sorry. I don't know if I'll change, but at least I'm aware of it, um, is embarrassment. Think about this. When you get embarrassed, you something inside you goes, I don't want to do that again. I'm going to change. With our students, the reason I said that is I call you guys up all the time, and half the time it's simply to embarrass you in front of everybody. Where's Emily Allen? You hate coming up, don't you? Look, at, even right now, she's like, I'm going to kill you, right, because I called her out. Emily Allen came up at church camp, summer camp. She came up and did something. She hated it, by the way, but she did it. Rock on, you're awesome. Have you ever voted to do anything with us again? No, see? See what I mean? Embarrassment like it's odd. I just, I'm sorry, Emily. I do. You're awesome. Um, thank you for your illustration. Um, so embar uh, acceptance, embarrassment, but here's the number one. In my opinion, I believe the biggest producer of change is pain. It's pain. Let me illustrate it this way. You remember when you were a little kid? 
Have you walked over and you stuck your finger in the electrical outlet only once? Right? Why? Because the minute you stuck your finger in there, that pain of electricity hits you and you go, I don't ever want to do that again. Right? Pain changes your behavior. Now listen, that doesn't mean you don't try to get other people to stick their finger in it. I understand that. Right? But you are wise enough when you're little, hear me, and you're young, and you're walking through your kitchen, and these are just generic illustrations, but when that stove, the old coil stove was up there, and it was glowing fluorescent orange, and you, you hear your parents say, hey, don't touch that, but yet something inside you goes, I've never seen that. And you reach up and you grab it willingly, hear me, willingly, you never willingly grab that again. Right? Why? Because pain changes your behavior. You go, dude, I know I experienced that. It hurt. I don't ever want to deal with that again. Pain changes your behavior. I'm going I'm to give you a verse. It's not on the screen and it's on purpose. Um, if I were to say to you, Proverbs 13, 24, anybody know what it says? I'll give you a hint. Spare the... Wrong! I knew it, it worked. Yes. That's not what it says. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Do you know what the problem is? Is so many people have quoted it that way, but they've actually started doing it. And here's what I mean. The rod? Well, they have spared it. They put it in the drawer. They put it in a cabinet. And they don't use it. And spoiled? They have spoiled their children. They have spoiled them rotten, and now they have become brats. Luke, don't tread on that wood. No, I'm going to tell you something. I understand. I understand that pain changes behavior. Here's why. I remember being introduced by my father to his leather belt. And I remember when I was introduced to that incredible piece of machinery, as it inflicted pain, hear me, I correlated that pain with my behavior. Hey, I did this, which resulted in this, and guess what? I no longer want to do that because of this. Does that make sense? Now, now listen, I am not teaching parenting. If you'd like to, we can have that discussion in my office, and I will tell you where I stand. But this is what I know. There are others that take that verse, Proverbs 13, 24, and go the complete opposite direction. They use the rod in ways it was never intended to be used. They think that the rod will solve all their problems if they simply inflict enough pain. And I want to tell you that that's not the case either. But what I do believe is that pain changes behavior. <clears throat> so... many of us end up going through some storms in life that cause some real pain. In fact, you may be in the middle of a storm right now. I don't know what your storm might be. I don't know if it's a financial storm. I don't know if it's a medical storm. I don't know if it's a health storm. I don't know if it's a family storm. I don't know if it's a life and death storm. I, I, I don't know, but I do know this, that we all face storms in our life. And we have this tendency to think that the storms in our life are because of a behavior. 
that the storms in this life were because of maybe the something that I did and it's a consequence. Now hear me, listen, there are very real consequences to decisions that you make, right? So when we start going, why, God, did I get this speeding ticket? Well, it's because you were speeding, and it's a consequence of what you were doing. That is a very real storm that is based on your behavior. But let me say this, that's not always the case. This morning, I I believe that if we want to have this resurrected faith, we've got to understand something. At least I've got to understand something. That sometimes it's God who calls you into the storm. Go with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. You see, many of us believe, while you're turning there, I'm going to just say this. Many of us believe that the struggles that come in life are, are direct results of the wrong choices and the decisions that we make. And clearly, sometimes that is the case, but not always. In some cases, our struggles grow directly out of our disobedience to God. But look what happens in Mark chapter 4. Starting in verse 35, they were actually sent into the storm. Check this out. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep. On the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? You have still no faith. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Listen, the disciples, they they get into the boat, and the storm that they encounter was not due to their disobedience. The storm that they encounter is simply because of obedience. Did you see that? They do exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, listen, let's get in the boat, and let's go to the other side. What do the disciples do? They exactly do that. They get in the boat, and they go to the other side. They listen to Jesus. Here's what I find amazing about this story. These are guys that have seen Jesus heal leprosy. These are guys that have seen Jesus do incredible miracles. They've seen him teach thousands of people already. Like, they've been with this guy. And yet, it says here that they were terrified. That they were afraid. Oh, it's very, it's very interesting. Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. The storm that they encountered is not because of their disobedience, because of their failure, or because of any mistake that they made. In fact, they themselves in a terrible storm simply because of their obedience. Evidently, some of the storms that we may face in life happen not because we're doing something wrong, but because we're doing something wrong. And it's in that storm that's where you find the master. You see, today you may find yourself in the middle of a storm in your life, 
the waves are big, the wind is, is howling, and you're terrified because you don't know why this would happen to you. You've been going to church. You've been giving your tithe. You've been reading your Bible. You've been singing the songs. You've been worshiping, and yet you find yourself in the middle of a storm. Why, God, this storm? Why, God, this hardship? And maybe God's allowing you to face the storm to till up the hard heart of your soul. Maybe God's waiting for you to come to him to calm the storm. Maybe you're of this mindset, right? That that you can handle it. You see, the hurricane is coming. You've got all your batteries. You've got all your supplies. You've filled up your gas cans. Your windows are boarded off. And yet the storm rages and tears apart your house. And maybe God's going, hey, listen, the reason that you're facing this is because you think you can do it on your own while I'm asleep over here waiting for you to come and wake me up. You see, you're dependent upon yourself rather than the Savior. I find myself all too often depending upon myself rather than depending upon him. You see, sometimes God allows storms to come into my life to bring a little bit of pain to say, hey, I need to change the pattern of behavior in your life. You see, if you want revival to take place, a good father correctively disciplines his son. Pastor Luke, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow any of these storms to come my way. Really? Is that that really what you think? I'm going to give you some verses, and I'm going to go quick because I just looked up at the clock. John chapter 15, verse 19. You know what it says? This is what it says. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is Jesus telling us, hey, you don't think persecution's going to come? You don't think storms are going to come? The world hates you, my friend. Not only that, uh, look at 1 Peter 4. Oh, man, turn there, turn there. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 12 through 19 says, man, underline it, highlight it, mark it. It says this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteousness is scarcely saved, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, 
Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Did you catch that? Number one, don't be surprised when trial and persecution comes. Don't be caught off guard. You're not immune to the things of this world that God may be using to break up the hard hearts of your soul. And then it says this, I, this blew my mind. Do you realize that it very well may be God's will that you suffer? That, that's what it said right there in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Maybe the reason you're in the storm is because God wants you to be in the storm and he's waiting for you to let your heart be softened and molded by him, the potter, so that you would be the clay and form to whatever he wants and not what you want. Oh. I have another hour? Don't be surprised by your fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised by attacks. Don't be surprised that there's something strange or unexpected. It's important that we understand that following Jesus may require persecution. Last verse, go to James chapter 1. Why suffering? Why storm? Why persecution? James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Why would God allow the storm? To mold you, to shape you so that you would be perfect the way he wants. When you stand in the midst of the storm through his power, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Right? Man, look what else James says. Skip with me. All the way down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Why? Because they're going to come. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Persecution produces perseverance, which produces steadfastness, which is the ability to stand under the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what you're facing, so that your heart may be softened to hear from him. St. Luke. I wish I would have put these on there. If you're taking note, write these down. This is my closing. Look, what if persecution is the normal, expected situation for a believer? What if the persecution is, in fact, soil in which faith can grow? What if persecution can be, in fact, good soil? Maybe the reason that we, as a church, maybe the reason that I, as a tree planted, have not necessarily been producing spiritual fruit is because I've enjoyed the pleasures of non-persecution. Maybe my faith would be so much bigger, so much stronger, if I had to actually defend my faith. 
What is the reason that your heart's become hard? What's the reason that your soil has become dried out? Why aren't we producing spiritual fruit? Is it because we have, we've had it so easy? We come to church. We sing some songs. We hear a word. And we go to lunch. Maybe, maybe the truth is the reason that you've been struggling, or maybe the reason that you're here this morning is simply this, you're not a Christ follower. You see, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you this. I'd be a terrible pastor if I didn't tell you this. But there's some really bad news. The Bible says it's simply like this, that the wages of sin is death. I'm going to use that stove illustration again. If I were to ask you what's the consequence of touching the stove, the consequence of that decision is, is that you get burnt. And the Bible says that the consequence for my sin is simply death. And that all of us have sinned. I'm a sinner. If I were to ask you if you've ever lied, how many of you have lied? Everyone would raise our hand. And those of you that didn't just lied, and so therefore you'd be a liar. So we've all lied. We're a sinner. And the penalty for that sin is death. But the Bible also says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if I confess my sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me and to purify me of all unrighteousness. And the Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That God loved us enough that he sent his own son to take my punishment for me. And the Bible says that if I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I spend eternity in heaven with God. You see, maybe you're here today and you've never done that. Man, I would love for you to do that. You can simply do it right where you sit. You can recognize that you're a sinner. We've already acknowledged that. We've all sinned. That there's a penalty for your sin, which is death, but God sent His Son to take that penalty. That you can put your faith and trust in Him today. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only in the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. Would you trust Jesus today? Maybe you're here this morning and you know what? You're like me. You were real little when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you've been coming for years and your heart has grown hard. Maybe you need today in the quietness, with no music, in the awkwardness that's about to take place, you need to come to this altar and ask God to begin to, 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 to plow up, to break apart your hard heart, so that today you could see change happen in your life. And so that's what I want to do. I'm going to give you two minutes. I don't know where you're at, I just know where I've been. And I pray that today you would use this opportunity. You don't have to come forward. You can sit in your seat. But man, maybe your heart has become so hard and that today you would say, God, would you break up my heart? As David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. I pray you were blessed listening to Pastor Luke and you were touched. Now, I would love to hear from you. And... I would love to hear what the Lord has spoken to you regarding this. You can comment below or reach out to us directly through our website contact page. 
Have a great day. We're praying for you. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages. Divorce strikes families around the world, often with little notice. You can help us minister to these families with your financial gift. Visit rejoiceministries.org and help us teach men and women what Jesus can do for their hurting family.